0: Welcome to the Equine Connection Podcast, where health, nutrition, and love for the horse come together. This podcast is brought to you by Tribute Superior Equine Nutrition. I'm Dr. Chris Mortensen.
1: And I'm Dr. Nicole Rambo.
0: Welcome back, Nicole. How are things back in Ohio?
1: Oh, they are lovely here. We're in that like nice last phase before winter really hits, but I'm soaking up every minute of it.
0: I know. I know. And last week, we, we did... Uh, Talk about, you know, preparing for winter again and, and and kind of reminding people about that coming up. So we have all those resources available to you, you know, this time of year. So please go and just do quick reads and listens and, and that will definitely help you uh, through the winter. But today's like a totally interesting, interesting topic, calming supplements.
1: Yes, uh, a huge supplement category for
0: horses. It is, it is. And you know, you always think, oh, horses need calming supplements. And, and that's why it's such a big industry. So just to jump into it, uh, from, from a nutritional standpoint, or a nutritionist, you know, as, uh, as a PhD nutritionist, what are you defining as calming supplements? Because it is, is, it, is it a big, big category? Or are we really, is it narrow?
1: Well, I'd say it's a big category in the sense that there are tons of these on the market. And a lot of times they're blends of multiple different things. I think ultimately you could break down, one, you have your actual pharmaceuticals, right? Like ACE, Rosarapine, those sort of things that are prescribed by your vet. And then you have all these supplemental type products. And within those top dress Products. Largely, we're looking at things like herbs and then nutrients that are believed to maybe have a calming effect on the horse. So, I'd say I'd put the supplements into those two buckets. Often, you see ingredients from both of those buckets combined into different products.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And uh, I, I know we've talked a little bit about this, you know, over the last hundred episodes and you know, how certain nutrients can have a calming effect on horses. So, so it'll be interesting to, to jump into those nutrients again and remind the listeners. But so not every horse is going to need a calming supplement, right? I mean, their natural behavior, fight or flight, uh, that's all part of normal horse behavior. But w- in what instances do you think, hmm, a calming supplement might be useful?
1: Uh, so that's an interesting question, Chris. For starters, I want to take a step back. I wouldn't necessarily categorize nutrients as calming in the way we've talked about mm-hmm. them in the past. I think more so, and we'll talk about this more broadly, there are definitely dietary strategies that might limit the likelihood of increasing the excitability, anxiousness, et cetera, of your horse. So Mm
0: -hmm.
1: it's challenging in a lot of ways to say that there are specific nutrients that make horses calm. I think we'll do a little debunking on some of those today versus thinking about the opposite way. What is risk management in terms of how do I feed a horse to take the nutritional component out of a hyperactive and anxious type horse? Uh, why a horse might need a supplement uh you know runs the gamut you have a type that's just generally anxious maybe they're on stall rest or there's some sort of underlying condition where the owner feels that calming would be helpful or they get stressed when they travel or major changes in routine like you said this is a normal response in the horse so fundamentally you know, the fact that they have these behaviors is natural. I think there probably are some like moral or ethical discussions around whether or not you should use calming supplements. That's not what we're here to talk about today, but I'd say those are the reasons that people choose to use calming supplements. And I see it both ways, right? There's the whole discussion around them being performance enhancing. There's also like quality of life discussions. Like, wow, this horse is so anxious. Like if I could make him feel better, he'd have a better life. So it's it's a complicated area that we're put into with horses when we're thinking about products like this.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think it is. It is. Especially when you jump into the, the literature, scientific literature, and start really diving into it. And it is such a broad category. So you were just mentioning... You know, how to feed or how to help these anxious, uh, hyperactive horses. Can we just talk about that real quick? Because I think it was, you know, going back in my memory, a lot of our discussion was maybe like hotter feeds versus cooler feeds, things like that. So, what does that all mean?
1: Absolutely. Nope. That is a great question. And I think it's the perfect place to start right? I always recommend like, let's let's look at the whole program. Let's look at foundationally what we're feeding before we even think about supplements. Because oftentimes I think sometimes supplements can be used as a band-aid and aren't particularly effective if the base of the diet is not conducive to promoting uh, the calmest a horse can be, we'll put it that way. So we'll link it in the show notes, but we did a previous episode on feeding The hot, nervous type horse, I can't remember the title, so we'll have to go back and link that. But fundamentally, kind of the big things you would think about is what is the composition of the calories that you're providing that horse? We know that diets that are higher in sugar and starch tend to make horses hotter. So staying away from the corn, oats, the super sticky sweet feeds, and bringing in those calories through cooler energy sources like you mentioned, which are fat and fiber. So lower non-structural carbohydrate diets can absolutely help a lot of horses kind of bring down their energy level. Now, that doesn't guarantee that every horse will you know, of course, be calm and not anxious on that type of diet. There's lots of reasons that a horse might show some of those behaviors, but we can absolutely take that nutritional component out. I'd say the other big one is access to forage. Just thinking about the natural behavior of the horse, they graze for almost 20 hours a day in a natural setting. So part of that, you know, relates to, of course, stomach health. Ulcers would be an example of something that would make a behavioral change in a horse, but also just kind of recreating to the best of our ability in what is ultimately an unnatural environment, right? We've domesticated them, but doing the best job to recreate their natural feeding habit, which is lots of access to forage, can definitely help some horses from a mental standpoint. You know, there's plenty of research that shows a decrease in stereotypies, things like weaving, stall walking, et cetera, with increased fiber or forage access.
0: That makes all perfect sense, and yes, we, you know the 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 hot feeds and the cold feeds. Now, what if my neighbor, you know, down the street says, "Hey, I've, I, this is so common. This is so common." I mean, my friends tell me all the time, "I've used this product. It does X, Y, Z. Um, this calming supplements really helped my horses." What's the general perception out there with horse owners and calming supplements?
1: Well. I'd say that if they weren't well accepted, there wouldn't be so many on the market, so there's definitely a market there. Yeah, true, true. you know from a scientific standpoint, it's actually cool. there's been a study um it was done in the u k but I think the responses are interesting, so you know they asked a large group of horse owners and of them said they had used some sort of equine calming product in the past. Um, Over 80% of those who had used them said they would use them again. And about 45% of those reported regular use. I mean, it was part of their program full time. It's... Interesting, though, once you kind of dug into it a little bit more, um, I thought it was fun when we'll talk, you know, more specifically about some of these ingredients. Um, Mm -hmm. They're like, well, what did they think worked? Over half of them thought magnesium induced a calming effect. Uh, Nine percent thought that herbs, uh, valerian or tryptophan were giving a calming Mm -hmm. effect. I love this one. 32% did not know what ingredient had a possible calming effect, but they're like, hey, I'm using it anyways," (laughs) You know, and in a lot of ways, that's how we go through life, right? Your neighbor recommended it. You picked it up. You don't know what's in this stuff, but you're using it anyways. Of those that used one of these equine calming products, about 40% felt there was some positive effect. 30% were like, ah, I don't know if there's any difference or not. And to be perfectly honest, I think that's where a lot of people fall with supplements. You're like, well, I don't think it's hurting. I don't know if it's working, but it makes me feel better to use it. 25% felt there was no difference. And 5% actually felt there's a negative impact on their horse's behavior. And I think, in a large part, people tend to go into supplements thinking, I can possibly be helping my horse, there's no harm. It's interesting that 5% reported they felt there was a negative impact on their horse's behavior. And I have a cool study that we'll talk about that actually we, we don't know what product they fed where they had a negative impact, but a really cool study that kind of discusses how, you know, there is scientific basis to the concept that some of the things that we might think of as calming could possibly have the opposite impact. So that was a really interesting thing that came out of that.
0: So switching gears a little bit. What are some of the, these, these herbs you, you've already mentioned some of them like tryptophan and things like that. Uh, and some of the nutrients, uh, you did mention magnesium, but I know there's a, there's a few others that we've even talked about before. So what are the general ones? Cause I know there's a million products out there. I mean, not literally a million, but a bunch, but what are some of the bigger ones uh, that you ran across?
1: I'd say there's close to a million. So starting with (laughs) herbs, um, you know, uh, there's a whole bunch of them. Valerian would be a very popular one, um, you know, and that causes a sedative effect by actually acting as a depressant on the central nervous system. It's banned, you know, by a lot of show organizations. And this kind of highlights one of the things you need to be careful with some of these products in that You know, you'll actually see a warning label on some of these products, specifically those containing valerian, to not combine them with another CNS depressant, like ACE, for example. So, you know, you do need Mm -hmm. to, you know, recognize that these aren't necessarily both nine things, even though they're sold over the counter as supplements. They can have drug interactions. You know, some others, chasberry, ashwagandha, which, you know, can otherwise be called Indian ginseng. There's a whole bunch of them, I will say. I was not able to find any scientific literature on any of the herbs supporting efficacy of their use. So, from that perspective, um, you know, certainly not something that we understand. So we only have anecdotal information on. We have no scientific literature to go back and really validate, A, their use, B, the dose. So I think it's pretty challenging to really draw any conclusions on efficacy from any of those herbal products based on the information available. If we look at nutrients, um, a little more research, and we can touch on some of them, You're going to see, you know, um, magnesium, probably the biggest one. We can talk about some of the research there. Some of your B vitamins. Remember, horses make their own B vitamins. So do they really need extra? Hard to say. Uh, Sometimes they're looking at different amino acids like tryptophan. There is some research on that one. And then other things that aren't, you know, thinking about like tiny, tiny nutrients. So tryptophan is an amino acid. It's a tiny, tiny building block of protein. You know, there's some body of work around things like milk-derived protein. Um, So alpha-cazepine, that's an interesting one that there is some research on as well that kind of falls into that nutrient-based category, but it's not specifically an individual nutrient.
0: So can you just talk a little bit about those studies because it's – I know there's a bunch out there, but the ones that you found, um, you know, give your learned opinion on some of these studies that were done and, uh, do horses really need some of this? Like you mentioned B vitamins, do they need more? And I know we just did a B vitamin podcast a few weeks ago and we talked about that or magnesium. If you feed, if if I'm feeding them a good solid feed, do they need extra? Is that going to be helpful?
1: Yeah, so magnesium is the perfect place to start. I would say this is the most common ingredient, and there's a couple different forms of it that you see in calming type products. You know, the the research really starts initially if you look at um, injectable magnesium sulfate. So this is something that causes hypermagnesium. It definitely gives a calming effect to the horse Abandon, you know, pretty much every discipline, authority, et cetera. <laughs> there's, there's also risk, because um, it's certainly performance enhancing to be able to do that. And there's, there is certainly risk and examples of horses who unfortunately have been given the wrong dose of magnesium sulfate and suffered fatalities. Uh, so again things like that are not necessarily benign. Now, what most people are looking at is not, you know, IV mag sulfate. Instead, they're looking at all these top dress products. And I think the jump went from, we know that an intravenous dose of magnesium induces a calming effect and is therefore performance enhancing. Can we recreate even a smaller impact with magnesium? And you know, you said there's a lot of research. I would argue that relative to the frequency of use of these products and mm. the number of products, there's actually not that much research. But
0: I agreed, you know. agreed, agreed, agreed. Yeah, more than I, I, I guess more than I thought there would be. How about that? <laughs> Yeah. I didn't no, think there that would is be much at all. Yeah.
1: That is fair. There's a little bit, there's you know, a couple studies on magnesium. The results are equivocal, meaning like sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. Um, most typically these things are measured with a startle response. Um, and they might measure things like heart rate or cortisol levels. Uh one thing I thought was really fascinating, there were two different studies that came from the same lab. And in their first study, they concluded that a magnesium supplement, specifically magnesium aspartate, had exerted a behavioral impact on those horses. Um, You know, there were some concerns about some of the structural design of the initial study. So they went back and they did a second study. I imagine they thought that they would be able to repeat the results of that Mm -hmm. first study, really, Mm -hmm. you know, show that this impact was made. Um, Funny enough, they did not. So, they came back with a second study with a larger group of horses. That would be one of the criticisms of the first study and most of these studies that the number of horses in you know, that they were measuring was so small, it's really hard to get good statistical results from that just based on experimental design. And their, their conclusions did kind of make me laugh a little bit. Um, and I'll, I'll read you a direct quote. It said, magnesium supplementation cannot be relied on to modify reaction speed and performance horses. So they did a startle test. And the second part of their conclusion is that horse managers would be advised to seek alternative strategies to manage reactive behavior, such as training and habituation to stressful yes. situations. Yes. Um, so,
0: depending on that, yeah.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, that's uh, certainly one way to think about it. Now, I will say, you know, unlike some of our other nutrients, there's relatively little downside to feeding a little bit of extra magnesium. Largely, if you look at the nutrient requirements of the horse, very rarely would you find even just your basic forages don't provide enough magnesium based on the NRC requirements, suggesting that they really shouldn't need a whole lot of additional magnesium supplementation. It is super common. People anecdotally think it works. Anecdote is not the the plural of data, but Mm -hmm. the good news, unlike some of our other nutrients, um, unless you're stacking tons of calming supplements with a whole lot of magnesium, you're unlikely to do any sort of significant detrimental damage to your horse, um, What will ultimately happen is that before you see any, like, big health impacts, you'll create some diarrhea from feeding way too much magnesium. Mm -hmm. So on the grand scheme of things, you know, feeding a little extra magnesium, really not scientifically supported in any meaningful way, but the good news is, unlike some other things we might talk about, there doesn't seem to be a significant downside to doing so.
0: Okay. Okay, all right. So that's the big one, and, and, and I agree that you even see it in the the human market, right? In the human nutraceutical market or vitamins, take magnesium, take magnesium. And then I I know we we talked about B vitamins a few weeks ago. If people are interested in in those impacts, they can go listen to that one. It's actually a really really good podcast. Learned a lot in there. I'm curious that this milk derived protein and then tryptophan, these ones that are, I mean, we do get them dietary sometimes, but Are there benefits to it, adding extra to the diet?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, you've hit on some of the few that there's actual research on. Let's start with tryptophan. So that's an amino acid. Those are our building blocks of protein. The inclusion of tryptophan as a calming agent comes up from the basis that it's a precursor to serotonin. And we know serotonin controls mood and is responsible for happiness. So really this idea that if we can induce greater serotonin production in the horse, make it happier, it's less likely to be anxious, things like that. I think um, the research on this, as I mentioned, you know, are these things benign? This really highlights mm-hmm. that impact. So this was a study done at Colorado State in 2016. Um, actually, Temple Grandin is one of the authors, and she's you know considered the modern expert on animal behavior, and she's done amazing mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. in terms of advancing behavioral research. So kind of pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And in this particular study, they looked at a couple different things to measure the efficacy of tryptophan as a calming agent. So they looked at startle response. That's a pretty common one you see in this type of study. So you introduce some sort of novel stimuli and you see how fast and how far a horse runs away from it usually. They also put heart rate monitors on. So we can measure horse's heart rate, see how it changes with the exposure to that novel stimuli. And they also measured cortisol, which is one of your stress hormones. So they fed three different levels and then measured a couple different days. And the most fascinating thing about this is that on day one, they did find some of the physiological measures improved. So heart rate and cortisol. However, uh, at no time did they see a change in behavior. So I think that's interesting because ultimately, I can definitely see value in decreasing horse's physiological stress response, but I think for most people who are using a supplement like this, their goal is to alter behavior, either to, you know, make a horse less dangerous in a certain situation or just make performance easier, things like that. Now, the other interesting part about this is that when they tested a couple different levels, you know... The medium level, for example, on day two, it showed a little bit of a sedative effect. Lower heart rate, faster return to baseline after that exposure to novel stimuli. But on day three, it had exactly the opposite impact. Higher heart rate, slower return to baseline. Suggesting that short-term use may be appropriate in stressful situations, but actually Long term use made it worse. So, going back to this concept that these aren't benign things we're trying to impact. Mm -hmm. And sometimes Mm -hmm. when you're hitting the same pathways, it, it is interesting, sometimes there are these tipping points where a little bit um, and turning a pathway on to a certain extent might induce a calming effect, but turning it too far might do the exact opposite, which would be the example here in tryptophan. So, you know, mm-hmm. based on this data, which is really the only real data that exists for tryptophan, I certainly wouldn't recommend long-term use of it um, because it appeared to make things worse. The other one you brought up is a hydrolyzed milk protein um, with the active ingredient, and I, I hope I'm saying this correctly, alpha-cazepine. It's sold under the brand name Zilkeen. This is actually a veterinary product, uh, although, you can find other supplements, interestingly enough, that do seem to have hydrolyzed milk proteins on the market. Uh, The research on this is fascinating. They used semi-feral ponies and domesticated them. And then their study looked at their responses behaviorally to just kind of the normal, common domestication, Um, you know, learning to pick their feet, being haltered, all of those things. And they found that those who were given the hydrolyzed milk protein learned faster and stayed calmer through that process of learning normal horse handling behaviors and those that didn't. Now, you know, kind of to wrap things up, one thing you have to note is that a lot of associations ban some of these products. Zilkin would be one of those. It is specifically called out in the USCF medications as one that you cannot feed in competition. And, you know, there's a little bit of discussion going back to you know, competition is certainly a time a lot of horses are stressed. You have some of these ingredients that are specifically banned, like valerian and, you know, the milk protein. You have others that maybe aren't explicitly banned, but then there's discussion around should you be feeding them because it goes against the intent of the rule that any calming agent is performance enhancing. So I think it's it's ultimately a really interesting area. At the end of the day, there's not a whole lot of data to support any of these. And there is a little bit of data out there that suggests in some quantities, they may be detrimental to horse behavior. So I think one of the early questions you asked me is, do I suggest or recommend any of them? Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm,
1: As mm -hmm. a nutritionist, to be perfectly honest, I don't feel there's the scientific information available for most of these for me to make that suggestion, I'm ultimately going to go back to nutritionally, all that stuff we talked about early, to go ahead and take out the impact that nutrition has on behavior to the best possibility. And then you can build the rest of your program from there. But that's where I think fundamentally the biggest improvement we can make are things like basic nutrition, horse management access to forage in helping horses, you know, be their calmest and happiest self. And then of course, you know, we didn't even touch all of the other underlying pain, ulcers, et cetera, that might contribute to. So my biggest recommendation is to look at this whole thing holistically.
0: No, and and lots of good tips in this podcast. I know this one went a little long, but it I, I guarantee you it's going to generate a lot of discussion. So please, if, if, if this you know, brings up anything, thoughts, ideas to you, please let us know either on Instagram or on Facebook. Always in the show notes, there's a contact us link. Let us know what you think. If you have any questions around this podcast or really any other podcast that we have. And it, please feel free to, to shoot us a question or say, hey, could you cover this topic? Uh, we would love to put it to the, add it to the list and get this information out. But Nicole, this one's fascinating. I could see us maybe revisiting this in the next year. Or like, you know, put a little different spin on it because the data, like you said, is lacking in a lot of this, but it's just it's it was just a fascinating discussion. So thank you so much.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Chris. This was fun.